we're in a sermon series from the book of Colossians. We're going through Colossians verse by verse. We're in the second chapter. We're going to start at verse 6 today, and we'll go right through the end of the chapter. So we're just going to jump right into it. The first point today is that we need to be making the decision to grow. Chapter 2, verse 6 says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Let's remember Paul is in prison writing these words to the church in a city called Colossae. That's where Colossians comes from. We know that there was a gentleman who helped ignite the church within that city, and Paul writes a letter that is pretty edifying, some challenges, but I believe Paul, when he hears about what's happening in Colossae, he believes the people who are Jesus' followers are setting an example for everyone else to look around and see. But Paul always reminds us about the main things, and in this first piece of scripture, he says that we need to continue to grow in the truth that we've been taught. We need to allow our roots to grow down deep into Jesus, into God, and we need to build our lives on him. So, right off the bat, what are you and I doing every day to grow in our relationship with Jesus? Think about that. What did you do yesterday, during your day, that would allow you to say, yes, I know I made the decision to grow in my relationship with Jesus. Did we spend any time in God's word? Did we spend any time in prayer? Did we spend any time in fellowship with other folks? Did we spend time with people who aren't like us? Maybe don't even know who Jesus is. Maybe don't believe there is a God. Are we living out E3? Did we encounter God? Were we equipped? And then did we go out and engage the world? I know every day when my eyes open, the enemy is coming at me to distract me and discourage me and to frustrate me and to beat me down. So I will make a decision that just says, ah, I'm okay. I'm all right. You know what? I know some of Scripture. Maybe I spent time praying a week ago or a couple days ago. But I know you and I desire to live lives that overflow with thankfulness. And if Paul is setting an example and challenging us and telling us that we can live a life that will overflow with thankfulness, then we have to be learning more about the truth that sets us free and then being messengers of that truth. Paul has called it a mystery, what that truth is, that's been revealed through Jesus, and not just revealed for the Jewish people, but also revealed for the Gentiles. He says this mystery is a mystery that's been solved because Jesus has died for our sins. Jesus has rose again. We can be in relationship with him. We can be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit And we, on a daily basis, can make the decision to grow. But no one else is going to make that decision for us. No one else. 
One of my biggest battles has gone for 30 plus years in my life is eating. And you know what? I've never had anyone force food down my throat. And every single time I think about eating, I have to make a decision. Am I going to make a decision to grow? Or am I going to make a decision that actually helps me grow in a spiritual way because I deny myself and I honor God in the way that he's called me to treat my body? I've grown in both ways. Over the last three years, I've learned what that looks like. But every single time, multiple times a day, I have to make the decision whether or not I'm going to make the right choice or the wrong choice. And when we just kind of drift off and we don't spend time growing in our relationship with God and digging those roots deep, we are going to find ourselves heading towards a wreck in our lives. Who knows how destructive it could be? Who knows the consequences of what that might look like? But I do believe Paul would as quickly say that you can overflow with thankfulness. And then he would say you can overflow with discouragement. You can overflow with fear. You can overflow with sadness if you are not spending time with God. And it's not complicated. The way my mind was renewed and changed was simply by reading his word and praying and surrounding myself with people who just encouraged me in that walk, whether I failed or was doing it right. And that's what I love about so many of you. That's what I love about Bob coming up. God challenged me about my shortcomings, and then he made sure to say, I think you all have some too, right? Just so we can all say we're on the same page. But God didn't stop there. Then he reminded him of his faithfulness. He edified Bob by saying, look, you've been through a lot of tragic things, but you have never, ever blamed me. And I believe that's because Bob makes a decision to grow on a consistent basis. You and I need to make a decision to grow. If you don't have a Bible, but you have a phone that you have Facebook on, I can promise you, you can get a Bible in as many versions as you would ever want. Multiple languages. And you can find plans that can help you. If you're like, I don't know where to start, you can find a plan that will walk you right through it, right in the Bible app. You can search it in your store right now and download it. If you don't know what it looks like to pray, right in that Bible app, you can find little things that will teach you some simple ways to go about praying. And we need to do this, because the second point of this morning's message is this, don't get fooled again. I think that's a song. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world, rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body, so you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. We read in chapter 1 about how even the rulers in this world, earthly rulers, but bigger than that, the rulers in the spiritual realm who would be attempting to do evil in our lives, Jesus is still head over those rulers, those authorities, those spiritual powers. Paul is warning the people in Colossae because he's gotten word 
that. People are just presenting different philosophies about life. People are presenting cases that sound really good, but the cases take every single person further away from Jesus rather than closer to Jesus in their relationship with him. He calls them nonsense. How do I know if a philosophy or a way of living is one that honors Jesus? Just make sure Jesus is in it. If it says Jesus is not the way to heaven, then that would be a philosophy that will take you away from your relationship with Jesus. If it's one that takes Jesus out of the equation, he's still in it, but maybe he's a prophet or something like that, rather than the savior of the world, then that will also be a philosophy or a high-sounding argument that just doesn't add up. I believe every single one of us have a longing for something more. And every single one of us are looking for an answer that can help complete us, can help fulfill us. So that's why there's so many different ideas in our world about what fulfillment looks like, what it looks like to be complete, what we should be basing our foundation on. And Paul is saying, look, don't get fooled. Don't allow your mind to be captured with things that will not bring you peace. This last half of this chunk of scripture is what has just captured my mind this week. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. And then you are complete through your union with Christ. I really had to challenge myself and ask myself, does my life look like a life that finds peace because I understand that through my relationship with Jesus, I'm complete. I don't feel that way most of the time. I don't. I feel like a failure a lot because I struggle with shortcomings. I feel like many days I don't have the answers to things and solutions, whether it's in my own personal life, within my family, maybe even within our church. And then what happens is my thoughts start to get get bombarded with the enemy that just is like that's exactly right Josh you are a failure you're not smart that's exactly right Josh you should just be disappointed and continue to live in the past yep you're in a really difficult place in your life and that just means give up and I know many of us walk through different situations and the enemy is whispering lies into our heads and they're lies that try to confuse us. And they're lies that try to reign chaos within our lives. And they're lies that if our minds get captured with them, we may find ourselves in a place where we start to doubt that we can experience the fullness of God and we can be complete through our relationship with Jesus. And bigger than that, because we are complete with Jesus, that we can quench every fiery arrow that comes from the enemy. Because we are going to find ourselves lied to every single day, whether it's these empty philosophies, this high-sounding nonsense of human thinking, or the spiritual forces of darkness that are trying to ruin our lives. If we get fooled, we're going to find ourselves in a difficult place. But the bigger piece of that is we won't get fooled if we are finding contentment within our union with Jesus. So we have to make the decision to grow, 
And if we're not going to get fooled by things that will kind of entice us away from our relationship with Jesus, then we have to ask ourselves, right where we're at, are we doing the things that bring this completeness that we can have in our relationship with Jesus? Romans 16, 17, and 18 says, And now I make one more appeal, my dear brothers and sisters. Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They are serving their own personal interests. By smooth talk and glowing words, they deceive innocent people. Those philosophies and some of the human thinking that Paul would call nonsense are things that try to cause division, things that line themselves up to be contrary to what we learn about Jesus and God and faith. And Paul says to stay away from them. When we can determine that someone we're doing life with isn't just different than us or struggling or whatever it may be, but just like we do, but when they have made a decision to set themselves up against the kingdom of God and their philosophy, no matter if they're in a church or not, is one that creates division, then that's a time we have to set up a boundary that protects our hearts, that protects our minds, so that we can continue to walk in the completeness and fullness of God within our relationship, and we won't even get fooled again by different philosophies that can be found inside the church. And it's all birthed out of understanding what our faith is about and building on him. Every single one of us in this room have the opportunity to be, be made new. Verses 11 through 15 say, When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. In this chunk of scripture, at the beginning, Paul says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised. If we read the Old Testament, and even at that time, circumcision is something that would happen to young men within the first few days of their lives. It was a way for people to dedicate their children to God. And Paul is saying, look, that has happened to you, but it's not the physical procedure. It's a different procedure that will now be a sign of your life being dedicated to God. And what it is, is having your sinful nature cut away because of our relationship with Jesus. Every single day, the forgiveness of God is made available to us. I love scriptures that say, like, don't let the sun go down on your anger. 
I love scriptures that say his mercy is new every single day. I love scriptures that say the rainbow is a promise that God is no longer angry. I love scripture that tells us that when we experience this spiritual change, the cutting away of our sinful nature, it doesn't just happen once. It's the renewing of our mind and the transformation of our heart on a daily basis. In the record of wrongs and the charges against us have been taken away. I think the hardest part for me is to remember that. Because when I forget that, that's what affects me understanding that I'm complete in my union with Christ. Because I'm constantly reminded of the things I've done wrong. And then there will be some other little thing that will just happen. And for me, that means like this scab that was probably almost healed gets ripped off. And this flood of decades of all the struggle and all the challenging things. Things I did, things that other people did. They come in and then I buy into the lie that that's where I have to stay. It's funny how sometimes when I have conversations with different people, you'll hear different themes that come up. And one of the themes that I've kind of heard as I've sat down and talked with people in the last handful of weeks is just that there is a lot of struggle going on. We talked about that a few weeks ago. There's a lot of overwhelming situations. And what that means is there's a lot of opportunity for the spiritual rulers and authorities to really come in and try to deceive us in ways that can make us make decisions that just aren't right. And we have to be reminded that when Jesus died on the cross and when Jesus was resurrected, he disarmed evil. That is powerful. So when Satan drops a thought into my head, unless I give it power, there is no power. Because Jesus has disarmed the enemy. Now if a thought pops into my head, and I say, oh, Huh? And I start to agree with that. Then we go back to the first verse we read, which means my mind becomes captured by a lie rather than the truth. Scripture tells us that we can hold every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus. And I forget that way too often. Part of being made new, part of growing, is being engaged in that battle that goes on in our minds. And I think some of the struggle that we have in our lives, especially the struggle that are simple reminders of our past and our failures and the things that we've gone through, where if we believe God's mercies are new every day, yes, if we believe that if we're angry about something, that we can be challenged by Scripture not to carry it into the next day. If we believe that God remembers our sin no more, as far as the East is from the West, and if we believe that we can be made new, 
then why do we believe the lies more than that truth? Just yesterday, something happened. I mentioned that. And Father's Day is always a tough day for me. And I always start to look for, you ever go through a week and go, when's the shoe going to drop? When's something come? Yesterday, the shoe dropped. And I'll tell you what, that scab comes off. And I zoom back to eight-year-old Josh, and then I start going, ooh, I remember that, I remember that, I remember that, I remember that. And every time I agree with that thought, I get more angry, more angry, more angry, more angry. And I go, there we go again. As a matter of fact, my thought was, every Father's Day going forward, I'm taking that weekend off. I'm just going to take it off. Because I know... Something's coming. And then I'm like, what? That is not disarming the enemy. The enemy goes, yeah, do it. That's the dumbest decision you could make, but it's the only power I have over you. You make the dumb decision again, Josh. And then you can look forward to every year walking into a season of incredible discouragement. Yeah, do it. And the only way that that becomes repetitive is if I forget a chunk of being made new. And if I stop forgiving in the way that Jesus has forgave me. So maybe Father's Day needs to become a celebration of forgiveness rather than a frustrating day like it has been for the last 41 years, every single one of them. But I would say more like 33 that I can remember. I desire for each of us to recognize that we are new. Romans 6, 1 through 5 says, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. That's the promise we have. That's what Paul is digging into in this idea of being made new. Using words of the day in his culture to help people think differently and help people have a larger view of the good, good father that we celebrate. We can also live a lifestyle of freedom. Colossians 2, 16 through 19 says, Don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are shadows, only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels saying they've had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have, been, have made them proud and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together 
with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. Listen to these words from Romans 14. Accept other believers who are weak in the faith, and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will only eat vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand and fall, and with the Lord's help they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some think one day is more holier than the other day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day, do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food, do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord both of the living and of the dead. And this is a set of scripture that the church maybe doesn't even know exists. Because we argue about everything. Everything. We make lists of sins that are supposedly more important than other ones. We look at people who maybe don't have faith or who have faith and it's different than us. And we can be very judgmental. And when we're judgmental, a lifestyle of freedom is sucked right out of us. Jesus has called us to build relationships with everyone. Whether he does not live in them yet, because they haven't walked into a relationship with him, and also, if they're new, or if they're weak in faith, don't argue with them about what's right or wrong. That's a challenge that Paul says. Instead, what I think Paul is saying, let's remember that no matter what happens, God is going to sort this thing out because he's our master. Jesus is Lord over the living and the dead. And how about you people who are breathing right now on earth show God's love to the world. And when you do that, his truth can then be spoken through relationship and our lives can become more and more like Jesus. And when we do that, a lifestyle of freedom is birthed. No one, no one gets to dictate what our personal relationship with Jesus looks like unless it would contradict God's word. And then, even if it does, we don't just start judging people and bashing people and pushing people away. We build relationship with people. Understanding is built. And then conversations 
can take place that can be life-giving, even if when you get to the end of the conversation, you're 99% in agreement rather than 100% in agreement. Jesus did that with lots of people. He set the example for us. And Paul affirms in this the rules are made to be broken in a way that if we're honoring God, we will be able to reach out to more and more people and show them that the freedom that we find in our union with Christ is the lifestyle that offers the most while we're here on earth and when we leave. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 says, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. He makes this whole body fit together perfectly, and each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. There's our litmus test if a church is operating in a way that honors God. Is it healthy, growing? Are all the parts operating in their calling? And then, is it full of love? And it says, Jesus, the head of that body, Jesus, the head of that church, has designed the body to live that way. Here is the last point for this morning. Rules don't empower change. The last couple verses say this. You've died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world? Such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. What have you ever heard preach from a pulpit and you could have said, oh, they're saying, don't handle that, don't taste that, don't touch that. Don't, 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 don't. And then, if you don't, 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 you're going to hell. So you better run up here and meet Jesus. Otherwise, you're in trouble. See, I think Jesus is way more about empowering change that allows us to overcome our own evil desires the chaos that the enemy speaks into our minds, and he says, a strong devotion to me is what leads to change. Galatians 5.16 says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. There's the answer. No rule will ever change us. The power of the Holy Spirit is what changes us. And God's truth that then settles into our minds is what changes us. No rules are going to change us. And I know for decades that's how the church has operated. 
If we can just say, this is what you don't do, and you can check off those boxes, then you're okay. That's not how it works. That's not what we see in Scripture. We see life as way more gray than black and white. We see that life is way more messy than just kind of carpent, carpart, oh, never mind. Uh, yeah, what? Say it. Yeah, I couldn't get that one out right there. Come part. Mentalize? There's the problem. The word mental <laughs> is in the word. It catches me. But that's the truth. Jesus didn't run away from situations where the rules weren't making everything look pretty. He ran to the situation and he broke the rules. And he loved everyone. So I want to encourage you. If you've been told a whole bunch of things you can't do and don't do, and if that's the answer to what it means for your faith being lived out, then I have a feeling you're very discouraged right now in your walk with God. Because Paul makes it very clear that's not what brings life, and that's not what empowers us to change. Instead, living by the power of the Holy Spirit, getting in tune with how we've been created, and then going everywhere God tells us to go. No matter if in the past we've been told, nope, I tell you to go. And I can do that confidently because that's what Jesus told us to do. Go into all the world baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And knowing that in every part of the world, even the darkest parts, that light can go in and can change darkness. It's happened in my life. It's happened in many of our lives. And guess what? The light that we carry is what can change a dark world that's outside of these walls. Rules are not going to change the world. Grace and truth is what will change the world. Let's pray. God, I pray that in this place this morning we could experience forgiveness in our individual lives where we've even set up rules for ourselves that aren't achievable. And because we've set up unachievable rules in our lives, every single day we feel like we're failing you. And God, you make it clear that those rules and those things that have even been sent our way to make the church look pretty but doesn't lead to life change, we need forgiveness. God, your word tells us that you never change. When we experience a relationship with you, the completeness part on your end never changes. We can never, ever lose 
that piece of the completeness. But when we set up rules, when we're taught rules, and we're told that brings change within the church and outside of it, then we are putting more ideas that cause us to be hindered in our walk with you rather than to be free with you. And we believe the verse that says, what do we do, just keep going and sinning? Absolutely not. But we know that we'll never stop sinning without the power of the Holy Spirit helping us change. So God, I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit will be evident in each of our lives. For the areas that we used to set up rules, I pray that we will find Scripture that renews our mind through the power of the Holy Spirit and sets us free. As a church, I pray that we would look at the things that we've been taught and we have heard about what it looks like to be the church and in those areas where we see that they don't look like Jesus, I pray we would have the courage just to, just to confess to God. Maybe that's just not the way it's been supposed to be. Show us the way it's supposed to be so that union of completeness with God through Jesus can be what is the foundation of your church. God, I pray for joy and hope and peace to be what we leave here on this Sunday morning with. When we walk out these doors, no matter how much the Word challenges us and no matter how much the Word causes us to renew the way we do our lives, God has never expected us to walk around beat up and frustrated and scared and defeated. Those are the tactics of the enemy. And instead, love and hope and peace, those are the attributes of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, God, for the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to help us recognize that the enemy is disarmed. His lies have no power. If we recognize them as lies and we cast them out of our minds and we move on from whatever it is we hear. God, I pray that that renewal and that transformation process will help us live lives of freedom. Being set free from rules that keep us from being free will help us become more like you. And that we will go out and love the world, not judge the world. We will be your hands and feet in the darkest places. And we will see hope spring forth in places that people have called dead. Because you bring life. Let us be your church. Let us follow the head of our church, the head of the body, Jesus. And let him continue to be the hero of the story of our individual lives, of our families, of our life in this church. And bigger than that, let us remember Jesus is the hero of it all. And he loves each of us passionately. And we do have a good, good father who has said we are his sons and daughters. Let us walk in that hope. Let us be filled 
with that joy and let our lives experience the peace that allows us to know we are yours and you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen.